as I thought about this passage this week and, and comparing it against all the things that go on in the world, I, I was reminded of how very important it is to be in the presence of God and how important it is to um, stay there, to enjoy that. And I, I think perhaps more than anything else, the world is constantly pushing us to stay away from the things of God, to stay out of the presence of God. That's, that's why as Sunday school lesson said earlier, constant chatter from the world. Um, everything is instant, quicker, faster, more of it. It's just, it really is. But, and when these things happen, we need to be in the presence of God. And that's what we see in this chapter. And, and it, chapter, actually chapter 3 and chapter 4 kind of work together, but certainly chapter 4, as these men um, serve God, they end up in the presence of the Lord. And I, I think that's the message here this morning, is that if, if we'll serve the Lord, we'll be in His presence. And that's where we want to be. I don't know any believer sitting in this room today that would say to me, nah, I can take God or leave it. I can take His presence or not. You wouldn't, no. That's why you're here now. You've come here now hoping to come into the presence of God. And I want to remind you that uh, you who are His have the presence of God. And yet we see something happen in this chapter that just really kind of just stood out to me, and I want to share that with you this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll get started. Father, we love you, and we thank you, and we praise the name of Jesus Christ. For it's because of him leaving that throne of glory to come down here and dwell with us, the most wretched of his creation, the ones who think they know right from wrong, good from evil have no way of knowing anything apart from you. Father, I just pray today that you would illuminate our hearts and minds, that you would make your presence known to us so plainly, so completely, that we all go away rejoicing in you. We talk about what a great Savior we have, what a great God we serve, what a great Lord who reigns over us, who keeps us against all evils. Father, help us to rejoice in Him today. Help us to enjoy His presence today. Help us to cast aside those things that hinder that presence. Not from His perspective, not you, Lord, but us. Father, speak to us today according to Your love and mercy for us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Down in, in picking up in chap, uh, chapter 4, verse 32, and like I said, we're actually going to walk backwards because the idea here first is all, how do, you, how, how do we understand or know we're enjoying the presence of God? And it really stood out to me here that what we're seeing in verse 32 down through verse 37 are a few examples of what it means for God to be present. And one of the things that really stands out to me here, and it's not the only thing, but this is what I'm going to be speaking about, is that we see the triune God in these verses. We see the Trinity at work here. And when we know that when the Trinity is present, then we know that He's present, and we know that He's with us, and we know that's being worked out in our lives. So when we look at these verses, we see, see that happening. I want you to find, notice first that when you have the triune God present, you have unity in God's people. See, there's nothing greater than the unity of God's people because God is a triune God. He's a unified God. He's, look at verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And if you were in Joshua Sunday School class this morning, you heard what and means. <laughs> it's a... Kai is a continue a joining point that brings those two verses or those two words that mean the same thing in unity and harmony. 
And so we see here the multitude of those who believed, not the multitude, but the multitude of those who believed, were of one heart and one soul. They were unified in God. And why you say, well, how does that a picture of the Trinity? Well, we understand. We can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and read in verse 26 where God says, Let us make man in our image. He's not speaking in terms of royalty there. He's speaking in terms of the triune God. God is always unified in His presence. They're never one without the other. It's not this one here today and that one there because that's a form of modalism that doesn't exist. That's a lie from the gates of hell. The triune God is always there. So we see that He is there. We see in John chapter 1 the same thing continues on. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So again, we see this triune picture of unity. He says in John chapter 10 verse 30, I and the Father are one. Over and over again, throughout the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament, we have this picture that when God is present, there is unity within the triune God. The Son never did anything to Father, contrary to what the Father wanted. The Holy Spirit never, never presented anybody other than the, the Son to us. The Father never dictated anything outside of their will that would be accomplished. There was always unity. So we see here in the church, they've gathered together after some events that take place, and they see the multitude of those who believe, those who had trusted the Lord Jesus Christ for their eternal soul, those who had trusted Him how that He was the one true sovereign God who was going to cast both mercy and judgment on the world, and who was going to punish the wicked and deliver His people, they believed that truth about Him, and they believed Him. And they were counted amongst this unified group and they had one heart and one soul. They were in it. And the reason they were was not because of them. Because see, we hear today, all in the world today, it's always about us being unified, right? Isn't it? Isn't that what we hear from political realms, social realms? Uh, You know, if I get more likes on Facebook, apparently we're more unified than if I get a few. Over and over again. So the world's trying to tell you that, but that's not what's happening here. This is the unity of the presence of God. And by contrast then, would it be fair to say that if we don't have unity, maybe we're not where we need to be in the Lord? Because brothers are going to come together in unity. Now they're going to come together over the Word of God, over the truth of God's Word. That's the unifying factor. That's what makes us unified. But brothers are going to do that. Brothers are going to come together and understand that. He says here, the first example was heart and soul. They were unified. What else I love about this is, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but had all things common. What does that mean? That means that that they were unified in commonality. I want you to be reminded of what Jesus said in John chapter 16. He said, All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore I said, I, that he shall take of mine, and he shall show it unto you. He goes on to say, And in that day shall you ask me nothing. Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall ask of the Father is in my name, he will give you. We see this unity of possessions. The triune God owns it all. My Father owns a cat, cattle on a thousand hills. We see that. But yet, that unity did not give itself to selfishness. I remind you of Philippians chapter 2, which says this in verse 6, Who, though he was in the form of God, or was God, did not count it 
equality with, with a God, a thing to be grasped. In other words, he was okay with being brought down lower than the angels. He was okay, the fact that he was God, he was equal to God, one with God, unified God, the triune God, all the things that existed, God himself had made the Lord Jesus Christ. There was nothing that was made that was not made by him. And yet he did not consider those things necessary. He was willing to lower himself to the lowest that he could possibly become. He became a man. Isn't that interesting? We thought we exalt ourselves like we're somebody, like we're a thing. Right? We're like, we got some value. And God, who's going to lower himself, what's the lowest he could do? He's going, well, I'm going to come be a man. I'm reminded of Job, who sat on the dung heap scratching the boils, and after a while it says that the worms began to overcome his body because of the boils. Covered in filthy nastiness. Can you imagine the Lord of glory coming down and putting this on? That'd have to be like putting on a coat of worms. Go in the garbage can and pull you out some clothes and put them on. I went to a house this weekend and saw such nastiness and just that my eyeballs wanted to pop out of my head. And the smell, this is what happens. And yet God said, I'm going to lower myself. His unity, this triune commonality that he had, was, despite the value of it, he was perfectly willing to lower himself so that he could come and rescue you and me. That's how we know God's present. You know, think about your own salvation. Somebody came to you and spoke the truth to you. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Somebody, somewhere, God used to come to you. They bore what you were. Again, we think of ourselves as more than we are. But I bet, I think of my own dad who preached the gospel to me and he bore with me. We had been separated for a season and then we were back together and I'm sure he bore some things with me as he was willingly pouring in the gospel to me so that I might believe. That's what happened to you. Somebody went past what you were and shared that one common truth of this triune God that you were in desperate need of a Savior. You were in desperate need of salvation. You were in desperate need of somebody coming to you and quickening you out of your death and making you alive in God. You were in desperate need, and that's what God did. He shared himself with you. That's how we know the presence of God. We have unity. We have unity in the things that we possess. We also have the witness of the triune God. Notice uh, verse 33. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Notice what we see there. We see that when the triune God is present, there is great power being demonstrated. Now, I don't mean the kind of stuff that we see on Glamour TV. I don't mean that kind of power. I'm talking about the kind of power that does one thing, and one thing only. It exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's really not power of God if it's not exalting Him. Because the Spirit, we're told, only was going to do one thing, which was speak of the Son. Lead us in all truth about Him. So we see that here, when we have the triune God present, we have the presence of our God, we see great power being poured out. Think about what the apostles did. Their, their healings that they always do, and which, by the way, you know, you watch the world today, and that's all we hear about. 
That's all I seem to hear about from these name it and claim it guys on TV. It's always about who I can do this and that and the next thing too. But these apostles, that was not what they went around doing. Let's see who I can heal. Let's have a healing ministry when I come to Ephesus. I'll, let's gather everybody up and we'll do that. That's not what they did. They only did one thing. Paul said, I didn't, I didn't even come to baptize. I came to preach the truth of Jesus Christ. And it's in that context of the delivery of the gospel that the power is made known. Remember the woman who had the demons in her who used to gain her master's wealth by telling the future? And every day she's chasing after Paul going, this is the servant of the Most High. And Paul finally has enough. And I love this. Get out of her! Now, back to Jesus. Do you, do you think this woman who just had that demon kicked out, do you, think, do you think there was any transformation going on right then? Do you think there was a whole new thing happening with this woman? And yet they, what we see from Paul is a, just a passing, get out of her, now let's go back to the truth. This is what the power is. The healing is a sidebar. The demon casting is a sidebar. I heard this morning that that's not evidence you're even of God. What's the, of God is the power of Christ Jesus being declared and being proclaimed and His people living in that power. Think about what Jesus did when He went to the cross. Think about that high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 when He says, not my will but thine be done. Think of the demonstration of power to completely deny yourself at that point. Know what you're about to face to be nailed to the cross, to be rejected by your own people. Have you ever been rejected by any of your kinfolk over something silly? His own people rejected him. And the demonstration of power was nevertheless, not mine, but your will be done. That's how the church lives. Nevertheless, not mine, but yours. That's the demonstration of power that we see here. To preach the truth, to live in the truth, despite what we see and despite what we're told. The world is constantly lying to us about these things. We are called to live in this presence of God, and in the presence of Him is power. I dare say most of us struggle with that point. We don't really think we're living in the power. That's because we're looking for power to the wrong end. That power is not so I can cast out a demon. It's not so I can be rich. It's not so I can be wealthy. It's not so I can tell the politicians what they're doing wrong. It's not so I can argue with Democrats or argue with Republicans. It's not, it's not any of those things. It's so that I can live in the power and the presence of Jesus Christ and teach who He is and live in Him and declare His truth to the world. It's not so I can get rich. It's not so I can be wealthy or have no worries or my bank account secure and everything will be fine. It's none of that. The Son of Man had no place to even lay his head, but he didn't have a problem living this truth. Paul didn't have it. He had to ask people to send him paper so he could write while he was in prison. But that didn't matter. See, when we have the presence of God, we have the power of God. And that's all we need is the power of God. And then look what they do, as I said earlier, and I'm going to repeat it. And gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. See, that's the point of the power. My Savior lives. That's why I endure struggles. That's why I endure heartaches. That's why I endure 
persecution. That's why I endure people speaking evil. This is why we endure everything that we endure because Jesus Christ has resurrected. If COVID takes me out today, my Savior has resurrected. Therefore, I will be resurrected. And that's the good news here. And that's how we live in that power. Only somebody living in the power of Christ Jesus can go in the midst of a plague and minister to people. Only somebody living in the power of Christ can give their last dollar so that the shoeboxes can get mailed. So some little girl somewhere in some foreign country speaking some language I don't even know will pray and praise the name of Jesus Christ. This is the demonstration of power because Christ has resurrected. We are not as those who have no hope. We have a hope because our Savior lives. I've said this before and you've all heard it. Pick a, pick a false God you want to point to and we can all go to their graveside. We can go anywhere in the world and find their spot where they're buried. And if we did some digging and some DNA testing, we'd find out somebody was buried there. But we go to the place where we think Jesus was laid, and all we got is a rock rolled back and an empty slab. Because our God resurrected. This is the power we live in. This is what we testify of. But we get testifying about everything else in the world, won't we? But we'll talk about us especially strong. I know me better than anything else. That's why I can talk about me. You do too. Don't look at me so stern. I've listened to you. We have something to talk about. The power of the resurrection. And it goes on to say in that verse, and great grace was upon them. Boy, this grace is more than just, oh, I'm saved. It's the, it's the, it's the presence of God to endure each other. Can we be honest with each other for a minute? Have you ever had a problem with anybody in the church? At any time in the history of your church attendance, has anybody ever pressed your buttons? Anybody ever upset you, tweaked you, made you think twice, made you go, Rrr. Amen, brother. One honest person out of the mouths of babes. And grace of the Lord Jesus Christ has been given so we can endure each other. Because need I remind you how long the Lord Jesus suffered with you? He suffered with me. 22 years He suffered with me. 22 long, ugly, nasty, filthy, wretched, useless, worthless years. He suffered with me. But as by His divine providence He sent people who had preached the gospel, and by His divine providence He opened my ears to what was being said, and by divine providence He granted repentance, and by divine providence I repented, and I believed, and I was transformed, and I was made new, and I began to walk in a new way by Him. That's what He's done. That's great grace. Grace says, I don't care if the whole place burns down, God's got it. If the economy collapses and everything I own is worthless, can't go anywhere, buy anything, do anything, they lock me out of Walmart. Could you imagine? You cannot come into Walmart. Thank you, Lord. 
doesn't matter. If we all get fired tomorrow, we all have to do whatever we have to do. Great grace is upon us because we have the presence of the triune God. That's what this passage is showing us. These people had this, and look what they do when they know that the presence of God here. Look at verse 34. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one as had need. Now, let me go ahead and throw this in here. This is not a prop for socialism or communism. Nor is this a prop for you to lay around and do nothing and expect us to sell our stuff and give it to you. Because it said, nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of land sold them. See, we all are required under the Scripture, the man who doesn't work doesn't eat. So don't lay that here. But what we do see is the fact that what I have, I know, I did not get by anybody other than Jesus, who is the Christ. I have land because of Him. I have a home because of Him. I have vehicles because of Him. I have my place with you because of Him. I have my wife because of Him. I have my children because of Him. I have my grands because of Him. I have my place in the community because of Him. I have this nation that I'm currently in because of Him. Nothing is my own. I didn't make anything. I didn't build anything. I didn't do anything. It's all Christ Jesus who did this. He is the possessor of these things, and He graciously, in His good providence, says, okay, Robin, I'm going to let you hold a few things. Did you ever let your youngins hold a few things? Uh, that's enough. You've messed it up. Give it back. That's all you get to hold that. I feel like that sometimes. But we see here, because these people had the presence of the triune God in them and around them and on them and through them, they understood that these things aren't mine, so yeah. If that's what we need to do to help our family be where it needs to be, that's what we'll do. If that's what we need to have going on so we can help each other, okay. That's why we do the things we do here. This is why we have the, the ministries, from the roof to the septic tank. That's what we do. And everywhere in between. Because this isn't ours. And what's more precious than this stuff is your soul. And if our actions cause you to praise God, then I rejoice. And if my actions have caused you not to praise God, please forgive me. Because it wasn't our intention. Because these things aren't ours. They're His. And He distributes just exactly how He wants it. And the good news is, because grace, great, grace abounds, you're not left behind. You're not doing with less. Think about that for a minute. God's got you where He wants you, and He's taking care of you, and you're not doing without one iota of a thing. That's the good grace that is present when our God is present in our lives. This is what He's saying to us. And then we see a witness of this truth. In verse 35, He says, He laid them at the apostles' feet. I love that. I was reminded of, of Corinthians that, that tells me that when when God 
who gave all the authority to the Son, and He reigns and rules until He puts every enemy under His foot. And then at that point, He says, the very Son who reigns and rules takes His own crown off and lays it at the feet of Jesus because He understood where all of this was and who was to be exalted in this. And then that's the, when we know the presence of our God is with us is when we do the very same thing. When we take those things that God has given us and we lay them at the feet of Jesus and trusting Jesus to do the work and all of these things. That's what you did with the money, wasn't it? It's not just the money. It's everything. We lay them there waiting for God to work. That's what we see when the triune God is present. God's people willingly worshiping one heart, one soul, power, grace, unity. And then we see it worked out in a practical way. We see Joseph, who is also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement. By the way, you ever notice that whenever somebody gets saved, oftentimes they get a new name? Saul, Paul, Simon, Peter, Joseph here to Barnabas. That's pretty interesting to me. What's your new name? What's the name that you go by now? Is it faithful follower, believer, son of encouragement, friend, compassionate one? I hope my name is some of those names. Because that's what it means when the presence of God is there. And it goes on to say, A Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The reason I said that was because of this. A Levite was not allowed to have possessions of land. In the Old Testament law, the Levite didn't have any possessions. His possessions was God. He wasn't allowed to own land, and yet here we see this man, this Joseph, owning land. And when he was transformed by God, when he becomes a believer, when he has the unity of Christ, when he has the presence of God in him, what does he do? He sells that land and then lays the money at the apostles' feet to be used by them according to God's will. He is realigned back with where he's supposed to be. And that's exactly what you and I need today. We need to be realigned back with where we're supposed to be. Back in the presence of God. You ever feel like you're not there? Sometimes more than others? Well, I'm going to show you three things I think that might help us to become in the presence of God. Go back to chapter, the beginning of chapter 4. Actually, I'm sorry, verse 19 of chapter 4. The first thing we can do to be in the presence of God is be obedient to the commands of God. Now what's happened? In proper context, we've, they've went and laid hands on a crippled man. The crippled man stands up and rejoices, goes into the temple, starts worshiping God, and the people come around and go, what's happened? And of course they preach Jesus Christ, and the people are rejoicing. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and the scribes, they don't like this. Why? Because their authority is being removed, and the power of God is now being placed somewhere else other than them, and they know that, and they reject that, and they take these men, they arrest them, they hold them overnight, and they want to charge them, with no longer speaking about Jesus. And that's what they're commanded to do from these men. But in verse 17, But so then that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, 
that from now on they speak to no man in this name, meaning Jesus. So they called them, verse 18, and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. The world's doing this to you and me every day. This is what the world's doing every day. Command, because they don't want the glory to Him. They won't, don't want the glory to Jesus. They don't want the, the praise to Him. And every day the world is telling you and I, threatening us not to do this. And we can either go, okay. Or, we can do what they say here. Peter and John, there's that Kai connection again. <laughs> I love that. Answered and said to them, means these guys were unified in their statement, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. Think about the, what they're saying here. They're not arguing with the Pharisees. They're not questioning what, what, what they should or shouldn't. They just simply say, you decide whether it's more important to listen to you or listen to God. You decide whether we should obey God or obey man. You make the determination. We're not even going to answer that. What we are going to say is this, for we cannot. And that's different than we won't. For we cannot. They have, they must speak of the name that has delivered them. They cannot do otherwise. He says, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard, and what we have seen and heard is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have seen His power and His grace. We've seen lives change. We've seen the Holy Spirit come down. We've seen Him. And this is what we're telling you. By that name, the crippled man was made alive. By that name, you were convicted of your sin. In that name, you will be judged. And in that name, you could be resurrected. In that name, that's what we're telling. We have to do it. And if you have seen the risen Lord and you are resurrected, and I would submit that to you and I that that's one thing that we should press to speak the name of Jesus. Don't you just desire to be compelled in such a way that you cannot do anything else? When you're standing there in the Walmart line? Are you wrestling with somebody on the phone about your car warranty? You know, just, just next time the car warranty people call you, click one and go, yes, I'd like to speak to a representative. And say, let me tell you um, about this. I have a warranty. It's written in the Old and New Testament. <laughs> click. <laughs> Nevertheless, I cannot do anything else but tell them that truth. So we see the first thing we might want to do is be obedient to what we've been commanded to do. You have been commanded to speak the name of Jesus Christ. You have been commanded, Matthew 28, 18-20, Acts chapter 1. You have been commanded. I have been commanded. The next thing we can do is we can trust the Word of God and rightly apply it. Look down in verse 25. As a matter of fact, go back up to 23 for some proper... And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. 
So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Now, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So they quote from Psalms. And they give us clear meaning to the text. Why do the nations rage? Why is Rome against Jesus? Why do the people imagine a vain thing? Why do the children of Israel, the scribes and the Pharisees, actually believe that they can rise up and tell these men not to speak about the triune God who's present in their lives? Because they imagine a vain thing. They've come against the Christ. And what we have to do is rightly apply His Word in our lives so that we can be obedient to what's been said. One of the biggest struggles we have in our lives is we don't rightly apply the Word of God so when the time comes to stand up, we can't because we've misapplied the truth. We don't have a right understanding of it, a clear understanding of it, a plain understanding of it. And when that happens, when we get confronted, when we get pressed, when we get where we have to do these things, this apologetic moment, if you will, we're not able because we haven't rightly applied it. So the thing we need to do here now is to study and show ourselves approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to apply it. We simply need to read it. You know what that means? That means take your phone off for a few minutes or cut off the TV. And you say, well, I don't watch TV. You know, I'll have a phone. Awesome. Then get out of your garden for a little bit. I don't have one. I go to the woods. Get out of the woods for a little bit. I get on the river with my boat. Get off the river! Let's, let's call it what it is. Let me apply myself to the Word of God first. Then go on the river. I like the river. If y'all want to go, invite me. I'll be glad. Go hunting. Get on your phone. Do any of those things. When the word's been rightly applied. Because the enemy is not if he's coming, but when. It's not why, but how. Because he's coming. And your only defense is the sword of truth. Your only offensive weapon is the sword. Because we don't know how to use it, we cut off our own fingers before we ever get to the enemy. So the second thing we see is the right application of the Word of God. And the third thing we see is prayer. What a concept. Actually praying to God. This whole passage from verse 23 down to verse 30 is a prayer. Anybody who lacks wisdom, the Scripture says if we ask, He will give it to us liberally. Had any struggles this week? Any things you need to deal with? Families, friends, struggles, work, decisions that have to be made about COVID tests, whether I can go to work, I can't go to work, whether I'm not, this is going to happen or that's going to happen. How do I get parts for equipment? How, how's my back? How is the doctor going to do this, do that? Any of those things, prayer. Because every one of those things is an attempt or will be used by the enemy to cause you to doubt God and not believe Him and get out of His presence. Because our flesh, it's a whole lot easier to bemoan our situation, complain and worry and fret and doubt and anxiety over things than it is to believe God, be obedient to His commands, apply His word rightly to my life, and pray. 
I'll challenge you this week. I challenge you to pray an equal amount of time to your complaining. And tell me what happens. Now, some of you are looking for Brother Robin. I don't complain. You just did, so let me go ahead and tell you. Because you're complaining that you don't complain. Okay. Pray. <laughs> Pray. Why? Look at verse 31, and we'll wrap up. Because when we're obedient to what God's told us to do, and we have a right understanding and a right application of His Word, and we genuinely seek God in prayer, look what we see. And when they had prayed, the place they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. Now I'm going to make a simple argument here, that when the Holy Spirit showed up and filled the place, and they all began to speak with boldness, they were in the presence of the triune God. They enjoyed God. And it's from verse 31 down through the rest of the verses, excuse me, that we see what I was talking about, being in the presence of the triune God. Be obedient to what He's told you to do. Apply His word rightly. Pray and see if God doesn't show up in your life in a mighty way and you enjoy the presence of our God. I know I'd need it in my life. And maybe I'm the only one and if this sermon did anything, it helped convict and correct me. And I hope it helps somebody else. But I do know this. There's not a believer in this room, in this community, in this state, or this world who doesn't need to be in the ongoing presence of our God. And we saw three examples here on how believers stay in His presence. I'm going to challenge you to go after these things. Pursue these things. Press these things. Put these things in your life. See if you don't start to enjoy God's presence. And see if you don't start to enjoy God's people. And see if you don't start to enjoy His blessings wherever you are, whenever you are, however you are. See if it doesn't happen. Because when God's present, darkness flees. When God's present, evil retreats. When God's present, blessings come in. When God is present, joy is present. Love is present. All the things that is God is present. All the things that every one of you have told me and I've told you that we want in our lives is found in the presence of God. And that's the good news here today. Our God died and rose again so you and I could come into His presence. And we can do this boldly because of what Jesus has done. For those of you who have Him and know Him, rejoice. Those of you who are sitting there going, I don't know, Brother Robin, about all this then I'm going to tell you to go to the Lord Jesus Christ right now. Start praying. Start asking Him to show Himself. Make Himself known to you because this is what's going to happen. He's going to convict you of sin. Let me just go ahead and tell you now, you're going to feel bad for a little while as He deals with whatever sin issues you have. He's going to cause you to repent of those things, to deny those things, reject those things, and He's going to cause you to cast your cares upon Him. He's going to require it. He's going to require you to put all that you have and all that you know about Him. But the good news is after He's through, you have the peaceable fruits of righteousness in your life and you dwell in the presence of our God forever. This is the good news. This is why we rejoice. This is the hope we have. And it's in Him that I'm eternally grateful and thankful. And I hope you are. Let's pray together.
Our Father and our God, I love you. I thank you for this time with your people. I thank you for the word in the book of Acts that shows us, gives us examples of what your people do in your presence. I am so grateful for Joppa. Over the years, we have so, so enjoyed Acts chapter 4. We've so enjoyed that unity of heart and that commonality of the truth. We've enjoyed your presence, and I thank you because that's what you have done for us. And I pray now, Father, that any in this room who's outside of this presence, you would reveal it, and you would grant them repentance unto salvation and make them a part of this presence. We love you here today. We thank you here today. And we praise the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.